Hey y'all, it's Janice. Welcome to the Dirty Diversity Podcast. This is a place where we will be exploring equity, racism, and diversity. I am a DEI consultant, educator, writer, and professor who strives to center my work around the liberation of Black folks globally. More specifically, I examine and unpack how we can create structures that support the most marginalized folks in the workplace. This is a podcast where I will share my thoughts on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, anti-racism, and Black liberation. My goal is to stimulate your mind and shift you to think in a way that you've never considered before. This podcast will feature my thoughts as well as the perspectives of different folks doing related work. If you want to learn more, pick up my best-selling books, Dirty Diversity and The Pink Elephant, where I explore workplace equity in more detail. Thank you for listening. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Just as a reminder, my two best-selling books, Dirty Diversity and The Pink Elephant, are available for purchase on my website. There's a link in the show notes or you can visit drjanisgassam.com. Also, please be sure to rate and review this podcast. It really helps with the visibility of this podcast. I also have over 250 articles on Forbes that you can find And I also have a pink elephant newsletter, which is also linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it, whether it's your first time or your 50th time listening. If you are interested in working with me or enlisting my services for your organization or your institution, be sure to send me an email. My email is also in the show notes, or you can reach out to Janice at bwgbusinesssolutions.com. Thank you again for listening. Hey y'all, Jay Nice on the Mizzyk. Um, I'm back with another episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast. For those of you who enjoy this podcast, please like and review the podcast, not like rate and review the podcast if you are listening, excuse me, if you're listening on um, Apple Podcasts, it really helps with the visibility of the show. And as a few sort of like announcements, I have a pink elephant newsletter on LinkedIn where I provide weekly resources and readings based on the articles that I write. So if you are interested, there is a link to subscribe if you are on LinkedIn, which I think you all should be on LinkedIn. Um, And also be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. I love meeting new folks and connecting with people and blase blase. So as I mentioned, I'm recording these all in a batch. So I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Sometimes I used to record my YouTube videos like that where I would do back in the early days in like 2011, 2012, I used to record YouTube videos in a batch and I stopped doing that because things would happen and I, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I want to 
do I want to talk about it, but I've already recorded my batch episodes. So so I'm kind of like, but it is what it is. I really wanted to get back to the podcast. I missed it, but I just the every week recording podcast thing was was it was tough. It was tough on the kids. So I've decided to record in batches because I have so much that I want to share with y'all and talk about. So um, this is kind of this one's going to be a little bit all over the place. So I had the pleasure of interviewing Ibram Kendi, um, Ibram X Kendi, Dr. Ibram X Kendi, who y'all may know was is the author of Stamped from the Beginning and How to Be an Anti-Racist, which I believe that both of them are New York Times bestsellers, but particularly last summer, everyone was grabbing How to Be an Anti-Racist and I believe personally that Ibram Kendi pop re-popularized the term anti-racist. Anti-racist is a term that I believe was coined by Angela Davis. And Angela Davis, and I think Dr. Kendi has her quote in the beginning of his book, um, but Angela Davis said it is not enough to not be racist. One must actively be anti-racist. And so she actually coined the term, I believe, but Ibram Kendi... I think was part of the reemergence of that term. But so I had a chance to interview him and I'll leave the I'll leave a link to the interview in the show notes, but one of the things that I asked him that I wanted to unpack in this episode is I've been doing a lot of reading and while I was out Y'all, that was, it was an amazing, um, and I, I'm going to do another episode about that, but it was an amazing six to eight weeks that I was out. I was just missing writing, um, and I actually wrote like two articles um, during my time off because I just missed it so much, and writing doesn't feel like work to me. Um, checking emails, conducting workshops, and all the other stuff I do can can be draining sometimes and does feel like work, but writing... I would say is one of my first loves, right? I love art and drawing, but writing and art are, were my first loves. So it doesn't feel like writing. So I um, wrote an article about this, which maybe I will touch on in the next episode. But um, one of the things that I asked Dr. Kendi, which I did write, I've written a few articles on this, was... Um, this idea of rectifying and repairing harm. So in the interview, one of the things I asked Dr. Kendi was, how do we hold people accountable? I, I've written about accountability and I'll put some resources. I always, I would leave some gems for y'all in the show notes. So if you, if you haven't made a practice of it, check out the show notes because I leave lots of stuff for y'all. But how do we you know, how do we hold folks accountable? And when I work with clients and when I do client work and just as a reminder, I have a consultancy called BWG Business Solutions. And so I work with clients, with organizations and institutions to help them and to provide guidance for how to create anti-oppressive and anti-racist structures that are built on equity. And one of the things that I always ask my clients when I'm working with them is what accountability systems do we have in place or do you have in place rather? 
And so when you think about accountability, it's really important when we are asking ourselves how we get to a space of repairing and rectifying harm. And that's one of the things that I asked Dr. Kendi was how do we hold folks accountable? And um, Dr. Kendi uh, mentioned the, a book that I read. Um, I started reading it last or I started reading it in February uh, or February-ish of this year it's by Miriam Kaba. Amazing, amazing book. And I've just been soaking it in. And like, it, it's like your favorite dessert that you're eating very, very slowly. And that's how I've been treating that book is just taking it really, really slow. And so it's now October and I'm almost at the end of the book. I maybe have like 20 pages left. But in the book, she really talks about how we have to get away from this punitive system and how this punitive ideology where someone has harmed me, I now must cause, I, I have to punish them. They have to, we, we have to get out of our desire to seek revenge. And Dr. Kendi mentioned that in our interview, and I thought that it was such a good point um, that Miriam Kaba has mentioned and that a lot of the great black feminists have talked about where I know Audre Lorde has said this ad nauseum. Bell Hooks has said this where we have to get to the root of the problem of how harm was able to be caused. And I think that and one of the things that Dr. Kendi was trying to the point he was making in the interview was that our current punitive systems of justice don't uncover and don't don't pull the problem at the roots. And so I think that when we're thinking about our organizations and, and just our world and our society, we have to be asking bigger questions. I think a lot of our conversations really center around the individual. And it's really, really, really hard to, I, I struggle with this and I grapple with this because I think that when we see, like, I'll give an example of like what has happened recently where R. Kelly has been charged for his egregious crimes. And we see people rejoicing and we see people celebrating and saying he needs to go to jail for X amount of years. When we see, I just saw news that stated that the the officer that shot Jacob Blake, I believe Jacob Blake was shot in Kenosha, Wisconsin last August of 2020. That officer is not facing any charges, I believe. And I will leave a resource in the show notes if you want to read more about that. And I see there's a lot. Of, I think our my first reaction is anger. And it's like, how dare the system not punish this person that did something that was so clearly harmful and violent and wrong. And I think it's it's going to take a lot, but we have to get out of this um, this mindset that the way that we repair harm is punishing people and canceling them 
and putting them behind bars. And I'm going to do a podcast where I just talk about books <laughs> for like two or three episodes because I would love to listen to a podcast like that because I'm an avid bibliophile. I love reading. I love books. I love collecting books. My partner gets mad because I have literally like four bookcases and we don't have space for all of these bookcases that I keep buying and putting around, you know, and so I'm going to do maybe one or two episodes where I just talk about some books that have really changed my mindset. Um, because even looking at the books that I read, I was reading like two or three years ago, the books I was reading then and the books I read now, I just feel like have shifted. And I feel like my way of thinking has become much more radical than even just two years ago. Um, but that's a whole nother episode. But um, moving outside of this idea of, because it's so hard, how do we tell someone that's been harmed that what this, what the world needs is not to lock someone behind bars or to cancel them? Canceling a person forever doesn't allow, and Dr. Kendi mentioned this in our interview, but canceling a person forever and refusing to engage with them doesn't allow us doesn't allow growth doesn't allow development and it's disposing of another person and I think at the end of the day we have to remember that we're all humans it sounds very and and y'all trust me I'm not going into the all lives matter type of thing so I don't want you to think that this is where this conversation is going but at the end of the day we we are all humans and we deserve love and we deserve compassion and we deserve respect and when I hear about when I hear about someone causing harm to another person, I really I, I'm trying to shift my mind to think what systems allowed harm to be caused. And in a lot of cases, it's a combination of things between a lack of mental health resources that people have in different communities. So people are experiencing different emotions. People are experiencing different levels of stress and they don't know how to cope and they don't know how to navigate what it is that they're experiencing. So they take their emotions out in ways that are destructive and that are harmful to other people. But rather than asking how we create systems that address people who are experiencing different mental conditions or mental illnesses, we punish individuals and lock them up and we are violent toward them. There was a video that's been going around um, and mind you, I record these in batches. So by the time you listen to this, y'all, y'all probably will know what I'm talking about, but I didn't watch the video. I don't like to watch black trauma and black porn, black trauma porn videos. It's, it's not good for my mental. So, so I didn't watch the video, but I saw that there was a officer. There's a video that's been going around where a, a black man is in his car. I believe he... I, he has some sort of mental illness, and I don't know what it, I don't remember what the mental illness was, but he was dragged out of his car by this officer, right? And 
we've talked about this and maybe this will be a whole separate episode. I've definitely shifted my mindset when it comes to police and I'm not afraid to say I believe that the way that police systems work now is not rectifying the issues within our communities. Police officers aren't mental health counselors. They're not therapists. They're not, most of them are not conflict, they're not proficient in conflict resolution. So I think that the role that these officers are playing is not a role that addresses the our societal ills at the root cause. And I know that it sounds radical when people say that they believe in abolishing the police, but I just think that the way the system is currently running is not going to, does not get at the root issue. So I do believe that police systems should be abolished and they're punitive forms of, they're punitive and they don't get at, and punitive just means punishment based. So when someone has wronged you, the state, for example, the state will say, so I've never really been a fan of the death penalty. Right. And it never sat well with me. Even when I was young, I didn't like the idea of the state telling people you cannot kill someone or you cannot harm someone. Yet, if you do, we can kill you. I I, I think that that ideology just does not make sense and never, ever, ever, ever made sense to me. Right. But like, how does you if, if you are the type of person that goes out and kills a bunch of people or, you know, does something more egregious, which I'm not even going to utter the words. How how were you able to get to that point where you were where you did that? And in a lot of cases, it is unaddressed mental illnesses. It is someone who was hurt people, hurt people, someone who was abused and harmed at a young age and that went unaddressed. It is people who have substance abuse issues because they're using substances to numb the pain that is not addressed. They don't have anyone to talk to. So there's so many layers. And I say all this to say that like, going back to the R. Kelly thing, right? Um, I think it's easy to be like, yeah, lock them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, is that really gonna solve the problem of how R. Kelly was able to hurt and harm so many women. There are layers to this. And I, I, I think that we just have to be asking bigger and better questions. Um, and I, I think that we're, we are all on a journey of unlearning. But when you, when you think about accountability and harm in not just a societal level, but like within an organization, we have to ask ourselves, when people in your organization have been harmed, how was this able to happen? And I would say in most instances, it is a lack of accountability. People do things oftentimes because they know they can get away with it or they think they can get away with it. If It is too costly. If I know that the cost of me saying or doing something to another person will, if that will cost me my job, my reputation, my livelihood, I'm not going to do it. The cost benefit analysis indicates that the cost of this behavior is too high than the um, benefits or any perceived benefits that I would be gaining. So 
how how was this harm able to happen at a systemic level? And I think that we have to be asking ourselves that question in our companies. How are how is this manager able to say and do these things? And it's a lack of accountability. We're not holding people accountable and holding people accountable to me is not canceling them. Holding people accountable is explaining to the person how they've harmed and creating avenues for them to repair and rectify the harm. And I think that in our society, many of us felt like the way that you rectify and repair the harm is to lock someone up forever. But the data and the science has proved that locking people up doesn't make folks within society less likely to commit crimes. If all it took was punishing someone and locking them up, for crime to stop, then we wouldn't see these things continue and continue and continue. I think that all of it is exacerbated by just what is going on in the world. People lack access to resources to take care of themselves and to heal. That is a big, big thing. How are we healing people in our workplace? And people come to work and people enter and show up in spaces and they're not healed and hurt people are often the ones that are hurting others. How do we create avenues for healing? And I have, I believe I wrote an article about this. How do we, um, I interviewed and I interviewed a, um, a, I believe she is a psychotherapist, um, or maybe she is a, yeah. So I interviewed a, um, a psychotherapist, um, Farah Harris, And we talked about this in our interview, and I'll link it below, but how are we creating space and avenues for people to heal in our society and in our workplace? And I think it starts with accountability, but accountability is not canceling. And I think that in our society, we don't give people the space and the grace to grow and learn, myself included. I've been part of many mobs where I feel like people should be canceled. And I'm realizing now that that mindset is not getting at the problem at its root. Canceling someone doesn't often help them to grow and learn and understand the harm that they've caused. But I think when we're asking ourselves what accountability looks like and how do we repair the harm, We have to be centering the people that have been harmed and that have experienced the harm and asking them what they want and how they want the harm to be repaired. And I think going back to the point I was making in the beginning of the episode, what what is tough with that is that a lot of us, when we experience pain and someone has harmed us, we want revenge. Revenge is the top of our minds. You want, it's like we want them to feel what we feel or feel what we felt. We want them to burn or rot behind a, um, rot behind bars. But, and I I think this is where I'm gonna leave the episode, but what's really, really interesting, you know, is, and one thing we have to think about is when, when we are seeking when the way that we seek justice for our for the pain and the harm we've experienced is through vengeance, that doesn't that doesn't produce healing. Um, and I, I say this as someone who, uh, you know, I've been in situations in my life where 
someone has wronged me or someone has harmed me. And I thought that the way to address the harm was to harm them back. And what I realized is that that did not make me feel better. That actually made me feel more empty. And I think that rarely, if ever, does seeking vengeance on someone make us feel better. We think it's going to, but it doesn't. Um, and so, I mean, if anyone out there has sought revenge and vengeance and it felt it made you feel better and it repaired the harm and the holes in your heart that you felt, then let me know because I will stand corrected. But I just think that rarely, if ever, does vengeance actually heal us and repair the harm. And I'm a firm believer also in karma. And I think that you can't put something out into the world without that coming back to you. And I don't need to, and, and you know, I, I'll, I will say, I was very disappointed several years ago when George Zimmerman walked free. I was one of those people that said, lock him up. He should be behind bars. But leaning on my personal ideology, I feel like, and I don't know anything about that man. He seems like he hasn't learned just based on the news that I've heard about him as of late. But I, I, I'm a firm believer that you know, life, it's a law of science. If you're, whether you're spiritual or not, what goes up must come down. And it's one of Newton's laws is that for every action, there, there is an equal but opposite reaction. And, and so I, I'm a firm believer in karma. But I think that we have to give people the opportunity to repair the harm that they've caused. And I think that locking people up and Seeking vengeance doesn't repair the harm and it also doesn't prevent, it may prevent that individual from harming another person if they're locked up. But what about the 10 other individuals that, that are like that individual? How are, how are we going to prevent them from harming other people? And we have to look at the systemic causes of the harm. What is causing a person? What makes a person want to go out and do these things? And how do we address it at an earlier stage? How do we prevent it, rather? So this was a little bit of a ramble, which many of my podcast episodes are. But I think when you're thinking about accountability in a workplace context, we have to ask ourselves, what systems have we created or can we create to make sure that folks are being held accountable for the environments that they are creating. If you want more help with that, or if you need guidance on how to do that, that is one of the that is one of the the things that I do with my clients is creating accountability systems and and implementing them. So um, you can reach out to me via social media or via um, sending me an email and just letting me know, you know, you're interested in working with me or your company's interested in working with me. But you have to think about what accountability systems have you created or can you create um, when you're thinking about getting at the root causes of the harm that is impacting your employees from underrepresented and marginalized backgrounds. So That is where I'm going to leave today's episode off. Thank y'all so much for listening. And I will uh, chat with y'all in the next episode.